When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Michael, and welcome to Beyond the Screenplay, the podcast where each week we do a conversational deep dive analysis into a film. Except for this week, when we are going through and talking about our favorite films of the 1980s. To be more precise, some of us are going to talk about our favorite films from the 1980s, and some of us are going to list the 10 films that they've seen from the 1980s. <laughs> Longtime listeners, you can decide who's who. I'm joined by the Beyond the Screenplay team, Trisha Rand. Hello, everyone. Brian Bittner. Take a chill pill, Wastoid. And Alex Gallegos. <laughs> That's why Michael hates the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> and scene. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about how we do our top 10 rundowns. So we're going to go in order. Uh, so the order is going to be Alex, then Trisha, then Michael, then Brian. And we're going to start by listing our number 10s through number 4s. So Alex is going to list... 10 through 4 of his favorite films of the 80s. Then we're going to pause, talk about it, and then move on through the list as such. After we've done that, then we're going to go around, going to do maybe a quick intermission, talk about the 80s in general, if we're feeling if we're feeling motivated to, inspired perhaps. Uh, and then we're going to go around in that same order, Alex, Trisha, Michael, Brian, talk about our number three favorite films, boom, boom, boom. Then our number two favorite films, boom, boom, boom. And then ending with our number one favorite films of the 1980s. 80s. Are you guys ready to begin? Yes. Excellent. <laughs> I feel like I'm hosting a game show. There's not there's not like a whole lot of game to it, but like wow. I mean the reveal the, the reveal of the order I am very curious about. Mm -hmm. Even if there's overlap yeah. between us, I'm very yeah. curious about the order. Now that you mention a game show though, it does feel like there should be a way to win. Like, oh. Can one of us win? <laughs> I don't know how hmm. uh, or what the criteria would be. But Listeners can tell us who, who had the best list. There we go. There you yeah. go. The people will yeah. decide who won. Yeah. But if I come up with rules along the way, I'll share them. An improvised game could be fun. <laughs> okay. All right. So, uh, yeah, let's dive in. Let's begin. Alex. What are your number 10 through number four favorite films of the 1980s? All right. So, yeah, like we've always said with these lists, it's it's a really hard question of is are these the best films or are these the films that I have watched the most and therefore know the most and care about the most? And with the 80s, especially that is my list <laughs> It's just the yeah. movies that I happen to have seen a lot and care about. Um, so with that. As a warning, <laughs> here is my list. <laughs> Top 10 of the 1980s. So for number 10, because I haven't seen it for a while, I'm lumping two films together. I'm lumping The Breakfast Club and 16 Candles together because I remember loving, loving, loving 16 Candles. I have not watched it since I was actually in high school, like a teenager. And then watching Breakfast Club recently reminded me of how much I love 16 Candles. And so I'm going to like say that's a thing that I like from the 80s in combo right there, because I cannot say with authority 
which one I like better at this moment. Cheating Illegal, right out the fair. gate. <laughs> well, I just haven't had time. I haven't had time to revisit it. So that's number number 10. Um, number nine, The Little Mermaid. Aww. Number eight, uh, Back to the Future. Number seven, Blue Velvet. Number six, Blade Runner. Number five, Empire Strikes Back. And number four, Return of the Jedi. Yeah. All right. All right. Nice. Okay. I decided to be honest with those last yep. two in their order. <laughs> Yeah, provocative, <laughs> daring choice. <laughs> interesting. Okay, yeah. So I think there will be some overlap coming up. Blue Velvet, interesting. T- tell me about Blue Velvet. What? Why? Why that movie? Yeah, you know, I I'm not somebody who automatically loves everything David Lynch does, but two of his films, Blue Velvet and Mulholland Drive, which was on another of my top ten lists, um, are the two films of his that have kind of influenced me and resonate with me and just just hit this perfect weird almost satirical darkness they're they're both films that i laugh a lot while watching and are also both deeply disturbing and just really just out of just a kind of like a like a weird wicked joy to watch for me and and the blue velvet is is you know one half of that david lynch thing that I love. So yeah, that's what, that's why it ranks relatively high on my list because I do think it has influenced me like as an adult filmmaker and some kind of dark sensibilities within myself, I think resonate with blue velvet. I really like the phrase wicked joy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So far the best thing to come out of this. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, the little mermaid is on this list, not just like blue velvet. <laughs> just like yeah on the opposite end of the spectrum um where yeah whereas blue velvet was kind of something i watched later in life and influenced me kind of like post film school filmmaker me the little mermaid is like i talk about jurassic park often as being the origin of wanting to be a filmmaker but little mermaid really is the origin origin that's like mm. the first feature film i remember seeing of any sort you know probably on vhs tape at home as a like a you know three-year-old or something, a very, very young child. And, you know, probably some of my love for the ocean comes from that movie. And just the magic of that, like, beginning of the Disney renaissance, that, I mean, that defines so much of who I am, those films as part of my childhood. So that that had to be on the list because, um, you know, Disney movies are probably half the reason I'm here, along with the Spielberg side of the equation. Nice. Cool. Okay. All right, cool. All right, well, we're off to a good start. Trisha, we're going over to you now. Tell me about your top 10 through top four favorite films of the 1980s. Yeah, so I I did manage to do this. Um, for me, it's, <laughs> Good. Always, like, it's always my, uh, like definite whittling down of a list. I want to like maybe put a pin in this or we can talk about it uh, after we get through everybody's top 10s kind of thing or 10 through fours. But the thing about the 80s is there are these towering cultural landmarks and, you know, a few of them are are going to hit a bingo, I think, for all of us. I don't know. In making this list, I sort of had this like look in the mirror moment of like, how much do these mean to me personally? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. these are it's like going to visit an actual physical landmark, you know, in the United States or, or something and just being like, but how much does the Statue of Liberty mean to me 
personally. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I get it. it and get and it. it's it's pretty important. Like it's important. Um, but you know, like how much does this actually like is it unique to sort of me? I ran into this with some of these stars, Star Wars and some of these other like huge properties. And I think I came to the conclusion that they do mean something to me personally, but also just like, cause you can't take them out of cinema history. And so you can't like unmake their influence on anything, including yourself. But at the same time, it's like, are these really my actual favorites in my, t the tiniest Russian doll box at the center of my heart <laughs> when I really get in there. So anyway, just want to say that that's like a thing that happened when I was making this list. I did some soul searching about that. Uh, that being said, so like for a while, I want to say like Last Crusade was actually in my top 10 and it's not right now, even though I really do love that movie. When Harry Met Sally is not in my top 10 right now. I have it ranked at 15 and like I adore that movie but there's like all these other things that you have to say because you have to say them. They're, you know, like mountains or whatever. Um, I don't know. What are, what are our goddamn landmarks? <laughs> landmarks. Okay, so we have three landmarks. of these movies that aren't in your top 10. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. Uh, but let's get into it anyway. So number 10 is Empire Strikes Back. Uh, and it's a lot farther back than I originally had it. But then I realized it doesn't belong any higher than that for me personally. But uh, Die Hard is number nine. Dead Poets Society is number mm. eight. Uh, the Breakfast Club is number seven. Little Mermaid is number six. So I see you, Alex. Uh, Back to the Future is number five. And The Princess Bride is number four. Nice. Uh, okay. Some ones that are jumping out at me. Dead Poets Society. Talking yeah. about that movie. Oh, Captain, My Captain. Um, that movie was very influential on me in, in high school, like in, in middle and high school, which is probably about when I saw it and I could get into it, you know, it's just like, it's so much to unpack. It's such an interesting screenplay. It's like maybe the greatest example of like the inspirational teacher film, but it's also about literature, right? It's about words and the influence that words can have on people and especially young people and, and what it means to be a writer uh, in particular. And so I think it was very impactful for me for that reason. And, uh, you know, also is about challenging yourself and, and making bold choices and seizing the day and all of those things. <laughs> I, I do still really love it is the thing. Like I've showed it, I've showed it to teenagers since, you know, that time and modern teenagers and actually you, they, you carpe into their DMS. <laughs> Hey. No. Sorry, I just have to no. high five myself for that. Wow. One. Right. Wow. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm just saying it when it hits you in adolescence, because that really is, you know, it it's a movie about that and looking at yourself and, and who you want to be and making a, a bold choice about who that is. I I think that there's still something there at the heart of that movie that's really beautiful. Not the least of which is, is Robin Williams's performance and some of the other mm. performances in it, which are super gorgeous. So yeah, I'm going to stand by that one. And Princess Bride is pretty high up there. Number four. Yeah. 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 I'm not going to apologize. That movie rules. No, no, no <laughs> apologies. I just want to hear about your relationship with it. Well, it's one of my dad's favorite movies. I feel like that's, 
I get into that a lot because a lot of my favorite movies are inherited from my dad. And we had it on VHS growing up. We watched it a gazillion times. But it it's also like it's archetypal while messing with archetypes. We've talked about that. Some of the best examples of a genre movie are parodies or like self-aware of being in that genre. We're about to talk about some Indiana Joneses, I would wager. And those are some of the best adventure movies around. And they're supposed to be kind of parodies of adventure movies. But they're leading into genre convention in a way that's really effective and exciting. And The Princess Bride does exactly that. Like, it's leaning into genre convention. These This, like, yeah, swashbuckling, big, sprawling fantasy action adventure thing. And it's entertaining on that level as well as being smart and savvy and self-aware and Michael hates it. So, uh, you guys can, (laughs) (laughs) you guys can, uh, tweet at him about that. Hate is not the right word. It's also not the wrong word, but it's not the word that I would choose. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's the one I chose for you. You're welcome. Again, I, my first touch point with that story was my high school class putting it on as a play. And so I was like behind the scenes of people doing the Princess Bride as a play. And I feel like that. That'd be tough. Has, it was just so <laughs> weird. That'd be tough. A little it's inconceivable. A, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Cool. Well, so to keep things moving. Your turn. My Michael. turn. Yeah. Okay. So I'll read the list and then I'll talk about it. Um, okay. So number 10, Rain Man. Number nine, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Number eight, Return of the Jedi. Number seven, The Shining. Number six, Blade Runner. Number five, The Breakfast Club. And number four, Back to the Future. Whoa. Late edition, high ranking (laughs) Breakfast Club. Right? Damn. There was a moment where it was in my top three. And I like, I don't know. Making this list has been weird because... There are movies, like you were saying, Alex, like we've all been saying, that I grew up with watching over and over again, Back to the Future being one where it's like, that used to be all I would watch. I would watch Star Wars, and then I'd take a break to watch Back to the Future so that I could take a break to watch Star Wars. Like, that was just... So there's those kinds of movies. There's movies that I later came to appreciate, like Blade Runner, that I appreciate as a film and as an experience and, like, you know, all of that and the artsy side of things. And it's the Indiana Jones and the Star Wars. But there's also movies that I haven't seen in a long time that I think I still really like. And like Rain Man falls into that category where I remember watching it and I remember being blown away by it and being really emotional. But I haven't seen it in a really long time. So I'm kind of like, I hope I still feel this way about it. And that's why it's kind of hovering there. But I mean, it's definitely, definitely, definitely a good movie. (laughs) Definitely. Definitely a good movie. Yeah, but yeah, Breakfast Club was really good. I'm glad I saw it. It's high we went from like, what if we made Michael watch Breakfast Club one day to wow, <laughs> Michael watched Breakfast Club and kind of liked it to it's in his top we ten. Michael's of, life, yeah. Yeah. top five of the eighties. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's my list. I don't know. Well, that's and I, and when it comes to Breakfast Club, Michael, what what did catapult it up to number five over some of those, those other classics that you have in six through ten? How did you come to that equation? I think part of it, you know, in like our top films of the 90s, one of the criteria we set off and was like, what movie would I want to go watch right now? And The Mm. Breakfast Club, I've only seen twice, basically, at this point. And so as opposed to all the other movies on this, I'm more like willing to go watch that one again. I don't need to watch Back to the Future again right now. 
Oh, I do. But I want to. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> or like Blade Runner, I don't know that I need to sit down and watch every right. single thing. Yeah. But also, yeah, it's just as we talked about in our episode about it, it's just really good storytelling. There's a lot of truth and honesty about like being a human and, and growing up and adolescence and all that stuff that like, I don't know, I was personally touched by it and very impressed by the filmmaking and the performances and just really good movie. So, yeah. Nice. Okay. All right. Brian, oh boy. take us 10 through 4. Uh, all right. Um, so, yeah, th this this was hard. This was like the 90s for me where it was like the battle of the number 10s for me where I was just like, what would I feel the least bad about, you know, not being on the list? And Alex, you're making me feel bad because Blue Velvet was was <gasps> there. Brian. I, I know. And my I just fellow had, Lynchian. What are you I doing? It's, it's like the first decade where you have a Lynch and I don't. Um, Shocking. But it's, I mean, it's definitely my number 11. Um, so getting into the list, the, my number 10, the one I just couldn't bump was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Um, number nine is Say Anything. Number eight is Weekend at Bernie's. Number seven <laughs> is The Princess Bride. Number six is The Shining. Number five is Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Uh, wow. And number four is Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we know why Temple of Doom is up there because we've talked about, you know, the Indiana Jones films. But for people that maybe haven't listened to that episode, explain yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so much. I don't know if we've really done like our like movie loving origin story. Maybe we did it on a Q&A or some point. But mm. um, I think at some point my mom just like bought me a stack of VHSs from the bargain bin at a to Z video down the street from our house or whatever. And it was like a, a movie that I will save for my number one to talk about and um, Weekend at Bernie's and Temple of Doom and Return of the Jedi. This 1991 movie called Time Trackers that's only available on YouTube these days. Um, <laughs> and Kirk Cameron and Dudley Moore and Like Father, Like Son. It was, like, it was just these like this weird smattering of movies that I got and I would just watch them all the time because those were the movies I had. And uh, yeah, so weirdly, it's like Return of the Jedi and Temple of Doom are just these like the movies that I love from those trilogies because I grew up with them and watched them more than the others, even though they're the ones people are like, wait, but that's the bad one. What are you talking about? So yeah, they, they just have a, they have a very special place in my heart. And honestly, watching Temple of Doom again recently, uh, when we talked about, you know, the Indiana Jones, I was just like, I'm, I'm having so much fun. <laughs> like this, the first like 20 minutes, of that movie is just like such a good time. Is it a great movie? No. Is it the best Indiana Jones movie? Absolutely not. <laughs> is it, is it the worst of the first three? Yes. But do I just love it dearly? Absolutely. Wow. And that's great. That's, that's what this is all about. Yeah, and I'm almost hesitant to give you a platform, but um, Weekend at Bernie's. I mean, again, it was, it was that stack. It was, I can remember like, that's a movie where I don't know when the last time I actually watched it was, but I could tell you what the music, I could tell you what the trailers were on the VHS beforehand. I could tell you what the music is that opens the movie. I could tell you like what the first lines of, it was just, I watched that movie all the time. 
there and there were movies I rented like Weird Science. I think we rented and like I watched it probably ten times. That in movie's the great. Three days we had it or something, <laughs> you know. But the movies that I actually had like access to all the time, like Return of the Jedi, like Temple of Doom, like Weekend at Bernie's, I just I watched them so much, and Weekend at Bernie's just holds such a special place in my heart. It's the power of the random VHS tapes our parents happen to have they in the collection. Strong. <laughs> like, yeah. Shaped our lives. And it it, along with Say Anything, are the only movies on my list that are that don't have any magic or ghosts or sci-fi <laughs> or robots in them. Those things were popular in the 80s. Yeah. Yep. Wouldn't it be nice to have a curated selection of unique films from around the world, hand-selected by expert curators who are passionate about elevating great cinema? Luckily, exactly what I'm describing exists, and it's called MUBI. MUBI is a streaming service where each and every film is hand-selected. From iconic directors to emerging auteurs, there's always something new to discover. For example, right now MUBI is streaming Melancholia, the stunning and thought-provoking film by acclaimed director Lars von Trier. With a free 30-day trial, you can experience Mubi's library of films for yourself. And by signing up, you're also supporting Beyond the Screenplay and helping us to continue to make new episodes. So why not try Mubi for free today? Just visit Mubi.com slash Beyond the Screenplay to start your free trial and discover a world of great cinema. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash Beyond the Screenplay. Thank you to Mubi for sponsoring Beyond the Screenplay. Okay, that's cool. Well, and yeah, it's making me wonder, like kids these days, if they don't have the VHS tapes that are lying around, what do they, are they like, oh yeah, I love that stupid Google ad in front of that YouTube video that I watched all the time. Right. Like what is their <laughs> I nostalgic mean, thing? As we've been talking, I just feel so old. Because like the experience we're describing is like of ye old past yes, times. Very <laughs> like this is not a thing anymore. <laughs> so this yeah, is like, well, listen, none of you ragamuffins actually lived through the majority of the eighties. So if anyone feels old here, yeah. <laughs> well, and so I think that's yeah, that's an interesting thing about you know as we've moved backwards through these decades mm. of like contemporary films and then getting to like the nineties where a lot of us, well, I mean, all of us were children and growing up in the 90s, the 80s, you know, I was four when the 80s ended. And so really any movie that I like remember and appreciate, I would have had to seen, you know, after they came out. Right. So it's like mm -hmm. there's a certain amount of if you're born at a certain time, movies around the time that you were, you know, a child and before you have to seek out to appreciate. And it is interesting we're talking off mic a little bit about this, but Alex, you brought up the point of like, you know, at some point, if you're a film person, there is sort of a like the laundry list of these are the best films that have ever been made. And you have to watch this despite like whether they're from your era or not. And yeah, there was a there was an idea posited that like <laughs> there was more of those from the 70s than the 80s. And I wonder if that's true. Yeah, that's my sense. But maybe not. You know, why are the 80s this not great period for for Michael and I in particular in our kind of like film catalog of films that we've seen and know well. And I, and I think there's a lot of films from the preceding decades from the 70s and a little bit in the 60s where there, there's a lot of these very classic must see must watch in film school movies. 
And I can't, I can't think of a whole lot of those from the eighties. And so if you weren't a conscious, you know, child old enough to like watch and register movies in the eighties, you, you do have to like seek those movies out and you're not probably going to be forced to seek them out in a film school or like film buff context as much as some films from earlier eras is my feeling. What do you guys think? I mean, I think it's safe to say, you know, Alien came out in the 70s. Aliens came out in the 80s. The Godfather came out in the 70s. Scarface came out in the 80s. Right. Uh, you know, like there is this sort of in the 70s, people were making these these very like gritty kind of filmy films. And in the eighties, there was a, a bit more of a sense of fun. There was like, let's put musical numbers into our movies. I mean, not that there weren't musical numbers and <laughs> like the, you know, the, obviously the sixties and the seventies, but like just this sort of sense of like style and fun and kind of whimsy and that kind of thing. And it just, just has a different feel to it than the seventies do. And that sort of became the thing of the eighties that bled into the early nineties was just this like, look at everything, look at all these colors, look at all this stuff, you know? And that doesn't mean there aren't like amazing, great films from the eighties. It's just like those, it's part of why I think those decades just have a different flavor to them. Well, and without getting into like a, a history <laughs> lesson that we don't need to get into, you know, the seventies were uh very reactionary in like a, a positive way of like people grappling with these like huge world issues and also like starting to have the freedom to make these, you know, sort of grimy, um, yeah, edgier films about, you know, kind of real life and like how difficult things are. And so is filmmakers that were getting a chance to kind of like dive into stuff for the first time um, in like mainstream cinema. And then in the 80s, there was almost this weariness to that. So there's there's some degree of like people trying to um, imitate some of the big successes of the 70s. So that's why you're starting to see the sequels, the Star Wars sequels coming out. Um, and some of these like big budget, like, you know, four quadrant, you know, kind of Indiana Jonesy kind of things. Um, that's that kind of like getting into the blockbuster mentality that was really kind of created in the seventies, but, but really, you know, found its footing in the late seventies. And so we're kind of seeing the blockbuster era here and, you know, back to the future is also a big part of this where it's like, we're going to have fun. We're going to make these big popcorn movies. We're going to actually like bust some blocks here. But then also you have an economic recession that hit in the early 1980s and people started going, they went to the movies to have fun. They didn't want to deal with mm. like the grime and the grit and the, the <laughs> Vietnam war anymore. Like they were just, they got tired of that kind of thing. Um, and so these genre films, so we've gotten, you know, we kind of getting into some of the rom-coms and some of the teen movies and stuff like that. That's what arises out of like, uh, a film going audience that is in a recession that wants to escape and go to the movies for that reason. And so you kind of see that in culture more broadly. And the studio system also was kind of figuring out what it was going to be in the, you know, after the new Hollywood filmmaker guys and really, you know, started that movement in the seventies, you kind of have these film school guys 
in the eighties that are kind of coming up and, and into their own, um, and starting to make movies in, in a different way, having learned from these sixties and seventies directors, but kind of, yeah, using technology in a lot of ways to sort of forge new ground. And that's kind of what leads into the, the nineties era. So there's lots going on here, but not all of it necessarily makes for like a perfect cocktail of cinema masterpiece. Um, they were trying stuff is what yeah. I mean. They were throwing yeah. a lot of spaghetti at the wall in the 1980s. And some of the spaghetti is amazing and beautiful and spaghetti. like our cornerstones of our like film history. So like not Big to time. diminish the eighties. Cause like they're, you know, empire strikes back is the eighties, yeah. <laughs> you know, like blade runner is the eighties. So, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot that happened in the eighties that is pivotal in our kind of film consciousness. But yeah, for some reason it does feel like, I feel like I've studied more 70s movies than 80s, 80s movies for the reasons I think you've laid out, Tricia, of just there are there there are more serious films. They're the high art. Yeah. yeah. The, preceding decade. the 80s are usually yeah. not considered to be that. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. I was just on the IMDb top 250 counting. And I think there's about like 25 movies on there from the 80s. And I think only like 30, 35 maybe from the 90s. So it's not a crazy, you know, uh, mm. difference there. Not that the IMDb top 250 is a scientific, uh, you know, list right. of all the things, but yeah, it's interesting. There's also, yeah, VHS tapes and the rise of yep. like the home media, all these like technical things and, and cultural things, as you're saying, the ebbs and flows of all these things is really interesting to track over time. Yeah. And, and I think that that, that's where, you know, just this idea of nostalgia comes into play too. It's like, you know, for me, it's not just, I saw this movie when I was a kid and loved it. It's I watched this movie 50 times when I was a kid, you know? Right. And so it's like, and I, and I was also just like a pop culture junkie as a kid. I was listening to the music and watching the shows and watching MTV and playing video games and all this stuff. So it's like, for me, I can definitely watch an eighties movie and go, God, this is so eighties. It's obnoxious. And I kind of hate it a little bit, but I have a, pretty high tolerance for a lot of that stuff. Whereas for other people, and maybe Michael, this includes you. It's like, if you didn't grow up watching a lot of that kind of style of thing, whether it was movies or television, or even, even, I don't know, a commercial or something like, right. Like watch commercials from the eighties or the early nineties. And you're like, what the hell is going on? Um, which I'm sure we'll be saying about commercials from today. Cause everyone, whenever I watch live I mean, TV all by accident, that's I'm like, what, what I say happening? about them right now. Yeah. yeah. What are commercials? Um, yeah. But uh, but I think that's an interesting thing, too, is like it's not just how you grew up, it, like what you grew up on affects your nostalgia for thing or whatever. It also it, it sort of affects like what kinds of stuff you just have tolerance for or you have an affinity mm -hmm. for or you mm -hmm. have a distaste for or whatever. So I think that's that's an interesting part of this conversation, too. And the 80s is like the the pinnacle of this conversation. And I think there's an extent to which we as film people uh i critics analysts who are we uh podcasters <laughs> in this case sometimes there's an automatic assumption that like yeah you have to you absolutely have to have seen these 300 movies um and they they span every decade and they have this and you know they they come from every country and they come from everywhere and i think overall taking in you know a, as much as you can or have a preference for it makes sense. But also as a film, just going person, it is okay to have taste. 
And it is okay to like abstain from things that are not to your taste. Um, you know, maybe don't loudly shout your opinion <laughs> if you haven't seen it a lot of a particular genre, you know, or from a particular decade. Like, I'm not here to loudly shout my opinion about horror movies because um, I haven't seen that many, like, or whatever, you know, whatever your, your the particular thing that's not to your taste is. I'm not going to be a horror movie podcaster. So there's a humility that has to go into that. And, but just acknowledging that we're also people with limited amounts of time to spend on, on what we take in. And so I think, yeah, having, having a basic working knowledge of film history includes seeing things from every era, but it doesn't necessarily mean seeing everything from every era. That's not reasonable. Hmm. Yeah. And do it all thoughtfully. Like, of course, like if you don't like something, like you said, don't go around dragging people's attention and being like, Hey, I want to tell you about how I don't like this thing. You like. <laughs> Uh, but also, like, investigate why, sure. uh, because there's useful information in that as you are developing your taste and your palate and, and the things that you like. Yeah. Yeah. And I just I just want to add, like, it's also really lovely to, you know, do this with you guys, you know, and by you guys, I mean the three of you, but also everyone listening where it's like we get to just kind of watch some stuff together, you know, and talk about it. Like, it made me so happy that you guys watched Rocky for the first time and loved it. Like I was in, in breakfast club too. Right. Um, and it's just, and I got to either see movies like the mummy or, you know, something that I, that you guys were introducing me to. <laughs> you got to see it. Right. Yes. Um, or, or just revisit a movie like little miss sunshine and be like, Oh yeah. Like I liked it fine the first time. But then when I'm watching it again, kind of years later, or like with a critical eye, I'm going like, Oh yeah, this is really good. It's that sort of thing you would do when you were 19 be like, Oh, you haven't seen such and such. We're watching it right now, you know, and you can't, we can't do that quite as much as adults as we could back then, but we can do it in, in podcast form. <laughs> Thanks, Indeed. listeners. And yeah. to be clear, you could still make fun of Michael, though, for having not seen very many 80s movies. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Knock yourself said. out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, so speaking of 80s movies, let's let's move to our top threes here. I was looking at it, and I feel like the, uh, the chance of bingo is actually lower than I was expecting. Uh, there's a lot of things covered up right now. I think the only one that maybe has a shot is Back to the Future Maybe Empire. Uh, I got my eyes on a couple of things, but we're going to see starting right now. Alex, what is your number three favorite film of the 1980s? Uh, my number three is The Shining, which nice. I think, Michael, you also had as, was it number seven, six? Seven, yeah. Number seven, yeah. yeah. Number six for me. Right. Yeah. And yeah, The Shining, I mean, yeah, it's The Shining. <laughs> it's 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 great. Anyway, it. it it's it's fun like i think i think what is interesting about kubrick as a director is that he ha he does dip his toes into so many different genres and but he does them in his kubricky way and and it's almost like part of what i think is interesting about kubrick is he he kind of goes towards the essence of things and, and including within a genre and so you can feel like with 2001 a space odyssey i think he said you know he said on record that he wants to make, you know, the ultimate science fiction movie or get at like, you know, like science fiction and not, not just these like campy 60s things, but like something pure about science fiction. And I feel that purity in The Shining where it's, you know, what is the purpose of a horror movie or a psychological thriller 
what is at the essence of it. And I feel that essence in The Shining. And so, yeah, of of kind of classic horror movies, it it's always my favorite because of that purity in the in just the vibes, the dread vibes it gives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of dread vibes. I was like hesitant to even put it on my list because I was like, I hate watching this movie because it's terrifying, but it's so good. Uh, yeah, it's very effective. Cool. Okay, so Alex's number three is The Shining. Trisha, what is your number three favorite film of the 1980s? My number three is Raising Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've talked about the Coens a lot. I adore them. I think it's one of their best comedies. I think it's so funny. Like, I don't know. I've seen it so many times. This is another thing I inherited from my dad. (laughs) This movie in particular, like my dad doesn't love all the Coens the way that I do, but he really loves their comedies and uh, he really loves this one. I just think it's great. Like, I don't know. All the performances are great. It's so uh, goofy and wacky. Nicolas Cage, Holly Hunter, like, Ah, I love it. They steal a baby. I mean, like, it's, (laughs) (laughs) and then like the angel of death is like riding around behind them on a motorcycle and like everything. Oh, it's so good. I love this movie. It's got some of the best like sequences in it. I think of like any Cohen movie, the sequence where he robs the convenience store for the diapers is Michael's just staring at me. There's no chance he's seen this. Um, seen parts of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, it's just like perfection, just cinematic perfection. And I, you know, it's it's the, that classic uh, madcap crime comedy that the Coens do so well. For me, mm. it's like the prototypical, like, madcap crime comedy from a Cohen, or the Coen brothers. And it's one of the ones where, like, it doesn't get really violent and gruesome ever. Like there's something really fun and pure spirited about it. Um, it's just, it's the best. I love it. Raising Arizona. There's no wood chopper. Yeah. No, there's no, wood, <laughs> yeah. there's no, no wood chippers in it. Yeah. There's no like cattle murdering device. Like, yeah. No, it's great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just realized that I've seen parts of it is a, is a euphemism, c- can be a euphemism for, I started watching it and then stopped. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> can't be not in this case i love that the coen brothers are getting some love because i was thinking about blood simple and uh-huh. i that's wondered a movie if you would that, yeah i mean i i i'd seen it years ago but just re-watching it a couple years ago i just fell so hard in love with it but i was like but it can't be my top 10 when i sort of just rediscovered it although breakfast club and michael i guess it can be but yeah. it wasn't for me but i'm glad that uh i'm glad the coens are showing up here oh hell yeah yeah thanks okay yeah, so my number three is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. There you go. Nice. Hell yeah. It's just, it's really good, like we've talked about, and I think it hit at that age where it formed for me, like, this is what a movie is, and this is what I want a movie to be. It's like, it's got action, but it's got character. It's got, like, kind of a twisty femme fatale romance, but there's father-son stuff, and there's, like, airplane. Like, it's just, it has all the adventure. It has all the heart. It has... All the things that that you know, young Michael wants from a movie, a blockbuster. So, yeah, we've talked about it a lot. All those reasons, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I was very one. surprised that it didn't make Trisha's list. Uh, yeah, so yeah. that was a blow. I'm not gonna lie. I know. I'm so sorry, guys. It's really, really, really good. But I just 
to understand. Ten is not very many movies, <laughs> okay? Not, I know. You're allowed. You're allowed <laughs> yes. to not have it in your list. Thank you. Yes. We forgive you. Yeah. Uh, but will we forgive Brian's number three of the 1980s? Which is Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back. Pretty, yeah, we'll probably forgive that. Yeah. Pretty yeah. safe one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, d- despite, you know, what I said about Temple of Doom, where it's like, well, I grew up with it, so of course it's my favorite. It's like... I grew up with all the Star Wars, but Return of the Jedi was the only one that I that I know I had. When you watch something a lot, and I've definitely seen the Star Wars is more than I've seen the Indiana Joneses, although it's pretty close. Um, when you see something a lot, the nostalgia is not as important as just how good do you think it is today, you know? And I think that um, as much as I like, I will always love Return of the Jedi. I love it so much, but it's like whenever I have to. I have to rank them because this is what we do in in nerddom. Um, I'm always like, but Empire's so good. Like it's just, I'm just like always so impressed by how it is, and it's so, it's sort of weird. Like it's structurally weird, and it, you know, and it, it like there's something about it that just makes me go, man, you can make a blockbuster sort of fantasy, you know, thing that is also really challenging and ends on a sour note. And you can like, you can do that stuff. Uh, so they're, they're really neck and neck, but Empire just, just ekes out Return of the Jedi if I really have to have to put them next to each other. Nice. Yeah. And see, see, for me, you're absolutely right about all of that. But there's something about Return of the Jedi and the sticking the landing of the the vader luke just like pathos and just like the the um, like better than ever space battle that set a standard for me as like a young person of just like wow you can like end something like really well and like end it like big and perfectly emotionally and i you know ewoks were great you know as a kid and so (laughs) return the jedi you know even though and by so many metrics, it is not as good a movie as Empire Strikes Back forever for me is like the first example of a trilogy sticking the landing in a way that I think, you know, Return of the King also did for me, which is why I also love Return of the King in the Lord of the Rings franchise. Yeah. And Star Wars would go on to continue to stick the landings of their trilogies. I was going to say. like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Always. As we know. <laughs> uh, all right. We're, we're on to our number twos. So... Alex, what is your number two film? My number two film is Aliens. Um, Because I am the inverse. I am the inverse of Michael. And I always loved Aliens more than Alien growing up. Um, Mm. I was less classy. And I love me some (laughs) James Cameron. And yeah, just Aliens. I mean, it's to me, it's just part of that, you know, pantheon of the Cameron thing, which is just epic genre movies with great protagonists crystal clear stakes and emotions and character arcs and just giving you your money's worth and more always going the extra mile you think you've gotten your climax that's as good as it's going to be and then there's even another climax it's even bigger and better and more emotional uh, i watched titanic recently i saw it in 3d in theaters because it's been 25 oh, years since it came out apparently and i during the first you know 20 minutes i was like oh did i really have to come see this again maybe i didn't have to come see this again and by the end of the movie i'm like god damn it james cameron like you're so good like like you did like you did it all with this movie and you did all of the things a hundred percent like love story a hundred percent disaster movie a hundred percent period piece a hundred percent and aliens 
is one of those Cameron movies that just feels like everything is 100%. So, yeah, that's why it's so high on my list. Nice. Like, part of me wants to say that, like, everything you need to know about somebody is like, are you an alien person or an aliens person? Right. Which, which is better. Like, it's like stones that's, our, that's our yin and yang, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somebody asked me where my parents are. Where are your parents? They're dead, all right? Can I go now? <laughs> <laughs> yep, there it is. Nice. <laughs> my name's Newt. Nobody calls me Rebecca. Except my brother. <laughs> Trisha, what is your number two favorite film of the 1980s? My number two is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there it is. And for the simple reason that I was thinking about this and Last Crusade, and, you know, it's the Marion Ravenwood of it all for me. Yeah. I mean, like so many other things, like I was thinking about the action sequences in Raiders and like, they're so great and like, they never let up. It's such a thrill ride from start to finish. The pacing's incredible. Um, It's so efficient. We've talked about it to death. Anyway, um, it rules. Uh, It's like a perfect action adventure movie for my money. Like it just is perfect. uh, Pretty much every frame of it. Many other people have said that, and (laughs) (laughs) I'm certainly not the first, but uh, it's quite good. So anyway, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Nice. No musical numbers. Zero. You're correct. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think we have our first bingo and that my number two is Empire Strikes Back. There you go. Yeah. Uh, And so, yeah, and everybody said all the things about Empire, but it, it has, it's one of those movies like you were saying, Brian, that I loved as a kid, not as much as a kid because it wasn't as fun as the, like it had less explosions than the other ones and less lightsabers. But it was still really fun. And then over time, I've come to really, really appreciate it and how sophisticated it is. As you were saying, Brian, it balances all these things. It ends on a sour note. It does something that very few other movies, especially in a franchise, like have been able to do. And so I love that it continues to be a point of aspiration for that all these years later. And it's Star Wars. So... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And Brian, what is your number two? Number two is Blade Runner. Hey, nice. Um, yeah. Talked about it before, you know, when we talked about it, obviously, but it's just a movie that's crept up on me over the past few years. You know, it's it's interesting. So many of these movies are like, oh, I saw it as a kid and I loved it. And Blade Runner, I saw, I don't know, when I was 23 or something, but then it was like every time I watch it or listen to the score or think about it. I'm just like, man, I just want to like soak up that world and the aesthetic. And I just want to live there. And, you know, I like the story. I like the characters, but it's just (laughs) one of those movies where the mood is just, is just such, I was listening to the score today and I was just like, man, and the score has the dialogue scenes too. And I, you know, so it's, do you like our owl? It's artificial, you know, like all that. <laughs> so it's just like I it's like the dialogue is now burning in my brain because I've listened to the score so much. So it's like each thing is just making it's like supporting the other thing. Um, so, yeah, Blade Runner was just was just really hard to put anywhere lower on my list. Yeah. Yeah, that's completely. I mean, it is like this weird movie where somebody went to make a movie and they used all the things that you use to make a movie like cameras and actors and lighting <laughs> And somehow they created it like an immersive experience in a way that's, I don't know, special and unique. All right, everyone. 
it's come down to this. Our number one favorite film of the 1980s decade. Alex, what is your number one film of the 1980s? My number one film of the 1980s is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Wow. Which, yeah, which I wasn't expecting. But as I was making the list, I'm just like, what is the movie that from this, yeah, from this decade that I've, there's probably the most joy that maybe inspired me the most as a young aspiring filmmaker. So, yeah, I, I was a little surprised that this ended up as number one. I wasn't kind of expecting that when I sat down to make this list. But when I thought back about the movies in the 80s that really influenced me and stick with me and I still just love dearly to this day, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade is at the top because it, I think it's a quintessential Spielberg adventure movie, which as a young aspiring filmmaker was what I wanted to make. And this one, I think for, you know, it's interesting hearing your description of Raiders, Trisha, because I think Raiders is on all the greatest film lists. It's always the one that's cited of the Indiana Jones trilogy as like the one. And for me, Last Crusade was always the one. And I think there was this added element of the father son story and the way that pays off and the way that it plays into the final kind of like series of tests and challenges that always like did the full Spielberg path package for me in a way that Raiders of the Lost Ark feels almost more like this interesting explosion of creativity and like Spielberg swinging for the fences and doing this kind of bold new thing. But I feel like I'm like in the hands of like the full Spielberg package with Last Crusade. And it always just gives me everything I want from Spielberg experience. So anyway, uh, I feel like it, it is my Raiders, whereas Raiders is like the the world's uh, Indiana Jones movie, I've always felt Last Crusade is like the one and I just love it so much. Uh, and and also like the score. Um, I think I mentioned it when we talked about this movie, but there are like John Williams themes in this movie beyond just the Indiana Jones theme that are, I think are some of his most beautiful, simple themes. Um, and I just, I just love it's, it's, it's Spielberg Williams, all of them at their peak. And I just love that, that era. Yeah, I just remember when we watched uh, when we watched the trilogy uh, for for the podcast. My partner and I just after Last Crusade, we just both kind of like took a beat and went, "Yeah, that's the best one." And it's like it's like yeah, my favorite is going to be Temple of Doom for for my own personal reasons, but just in terms of just what experience like Raiders is maybe the best like film, right? And like maybe Temple of Doom is like entertaining in a lot of ways but like last crusade just feels like it's sort of the perfect blend of everything to, to me i think that's neat about the indiana jones series is that like there's kind of one for everybody like, it's true yeah yeah like yeah i don't know i think it's that's kind of what's cool and special about it and there's a new one coming out soon yeah crystal skull is for somebody it is yeah. for someone <laughs> someone Someone out there has that at the top of their list. Uh, <laughs> Angry alien. Uh, God, I can't wait. To, yeah, yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna be fun. Uh, all right, Trisha, what is your favorite movie of the 1980s? Mine is E.T. Oh, E.T. Yeah. We have an E.T. appearance. Nice. Uh, of course we do. Are you kidding me? Like, um, E.T. is just really special to me. Uh, it was a movie that I saw when I was really young. Um, and I just really, 
I don't know. I just relate to it really hard. I think it's so beautiful. And, um, you know, it's about this lonely kid and he finds a friend. The storytelling in it is so fascinating and artful and gorgeous. There's like long stretches of it without dialogue. And then there's like plot events that are not explained or like barely explained in words. And there's something that's just so emotional about it where like the beats of the story feel a certain way without needing to have like structure, mechanical like perfection to them. So like, you know, the way that Elliot and E.T. like communicate and connect and all these things just feels like intuitive and like emotional and, and beautiful and magic in a way that that transcends science fiction. This is why Michael hates E.T. Um, among the many reasons. But <laughs> I mean, I think it's trauma why he hates it, because I also was a little traumatized by E.T. Like when he's right. all pale and the. Evil like governments there. It's gets scary. Yeah, my memory of it is a horror film, but yeah. <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing is that I think there's something if it if you watch it in childhood, that's I think that's what why it's so special to so many people and why it's special to me. Because again, what it does in terms of like eschewing like sci-fi rules and world things speaks directly to the way that children experience narrative and stories and the way that we experience friendship and relationships and love and things and fear like in all of these things. And so um, like there's this, I don't know, this just sort of lovely thematic soul at the heart of it that I We'll never get over. And like the bicycle theme, I think, is probably my favorite piece of music that John Williams has ever written. Um, it was a ringtone on my phone for like a really long time. <laughs> and Back when uh, we did that. Yeah. yeah. If like I could have written a movie and made a movie, I wish it would have been that one. I think it's like that's one of my if it couldn't have been Jurassic Park, I guess. But like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just think it's gorgeous and uh, like I'm never not going to cry at it and then and everything. So I think it doesn't I think there's a reason why it doesn't hold up for a lot of people as they get older. And it's part of the reason probably that I'm talking about. But um, there is still so much like great filmmaking and like, yeah. A lot to analyze, too. I think I pitched you a video about symbols in E.T., Michael, way back in the day. And it is one of the, again, because there are these long stretches that are kind of like dialogueless. It, there's a lot of symbols and images doing work in that movie um, in a way that's so instructive and just like really, really beautiful. So Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I love E.T. It was uh, released two weeks after I was. Um, and, uh, but, but I think, yeah, for, for me, it was like, it was a movie where I just haven't seen enough in the past 20 years or something, you know, but it's like, I remember loving it as a kid and I, I know whenever I watch it, I love it, but it's like, I don't have that ongoing relationship with it, but coming off of last crusade, talking about movies that sort of do everything. It's like, you know, the eighties were, was this decade of just so much adventure, right? Whether it was yeah. sci-fi or fantasy wonder. or whatever and wonder. Yeah. So yeah. I was thinking about the movies that I saw a bunch as a kid and it was like never ending story, which was really hard for me not to put on the list. Um, Honey, I shrunk the kids, little mermaid, Harry and the Hendersons, ghostbusters, yeah. <laughs> flight of the navigator, teen wolf, even like Roger rabbit. Um, and then, you know, Indiana Jones and star Wars and stuff. But it's like, I think ET is one of those examples of like, Hey, you can do this, 
but also, you know, I mean, Steven Spielberg films are often, you can do this, but you can actually make a really good film out of it, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's Jaws or Jurassic Park or E.T. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so I think E.T. is just like a, like what a quintessential example of this decade of like, you can do, you can do what the decade was, but you can also do it in a way that feels like a real film, if that makes sense. We should watch it and talk about it. I'm increasingly open to it. There we go. Hey. After Breakfast Club, Michael's like, maybe this yeah, decade's... The dam is broken. Okay, well, okay. Let's not get carried away, everybody. All right. I didn't say any of that. I said I'm increasingly open to watching this one movie. All right, well... Gotta, gotta keep my thing. All right, Without well, that, what's my identity? Yeah. Yes. Think about awesome. your inner child, Michael, and the childlike wonder that film can inspire. The trauma, you. the E.T. trauma. Or the childlike trauma. Right, yeah. I feel like... I was a different kid demons. than other other kids were. All right, Michael, what's your number one? My number one is When Harry Met Sally. Oh, nice. Wow. Oh, so good. It's, it's just so good. It is. It's, it's just so good. There's nothing more to say. It's just so what do you have? A hot date? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, like it's fun to watch. It's charming. It's structurally interesting. There's clever writing and it's just lightning in a bottle and i don't know it's just like everything just it's such a great great like example of what i want like a romantic comedy to be and not the like cookie cutter version that like was sort of like you know take pieces of it or try to replicate the surface of it but like there's something deep character soul about love and friendship and what it means to like have a companion in the world that is captured in this while also being like hilarious. So yeah, I just one of my favorite films of all time. And so of course it's at the top of my 1980s list. I think we just need to have a Carrie Fisher shout out uh, on this episode. Oh yeah. Yes, seriously. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good yeah. job in the eighties. The queen of everything. Representing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. And to end us off here, to end us off to play to, us out to play yep. us words. out <laughs> what does we'll that do mean it. to play us out <laughs> there's no words here cap it off <laughs> brian what is your favorite film appropriately enough sting was was <laughs> one of the choices for <laughs> the lead in my favorite uh-huh. film which is also my favorite film of all time which is labyrinth whoa <laughs> i did not think it surprise anybody but there you go i love i'm sorry I'm sorry. I, I know you like it, but I you just said of all time. Yep. That's a okay qualifier. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's it's a movie I watched a ton as a kid, so there's nostalgia there, obviously. But it's also a movie I just I've never gotten sick of, and I've appreciated in new ways over the years. There's just some interesting. There's like themes and ideas that you don't pick up on as a kid, and, and they're like almost more meaningful when you're an adult. It's that sort of thing where a coming of age story is interesting for everyone. Cause when you're a kid, you're like, I want to be there someday. And when you're an adult, you're like, I remember when I made that transition. And if you're making that transition, you're like, this movie is perfect for me. There's some textual things in that movie that are done with set design, which I, when we talk about labyrinth, which will definitely happen on this podcast, right? Um, I'll get into it. <laughs> What's but, the bit of time, Brad? Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Baby steps. <laughs> <laughs> Next two episodes, ET and Labyrinth, uh, and Weekend of Birdies. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, David Bowie, come on, Jennifer Connelly, come on, produced by George Lucas, written by Terry Jones of Monty Python, directed by Jim Henson. 
puppets, David Bowie songs, entertaining emotional story. It's it's the best. My first concert ever was David Bowie Nine Inch Nails playing together, and I but I was thirteen, so I was just like play Labyrinth. <laughs> I feel like everything you listed uh-huh. there was watching Michael's face as he nodded along. I'm like, are these pluses? <laughs> yeah. He's like, wait, Mighty Python was involved? <laughs> negative, <laughs> negative, negative. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> Puppets. <laughs> well, I just, yeah, there is something like, yeah, just so fascinating about, again, kind of returning to the 80s thing and like, like that a movie could have all of those things that you just listed. Right. Right. Is kind of insane. Like that didn't keep happening. Like that is kind of a special thing of a time. And it's like I can imagine how cool it is if all of those things are things that you like to see them like perfect, perfectly orchestrated and telling a compelling story. Like that does sound magical. And I'm not like happy that that doesn't work for me. I'm just, it's just I'm on the other side of the fence there, but it looks like your territory is great and you're having a great time. So. <laughs> right, <laughs> territory inside the labyrinth. Yeah. <laughs> that that and Blade Runner; those are the two places I want to live. Is is in Blade Runner world or in the labyrinth or maybe on Hoth? I don't know. We've got to you know. Oh, it's too cold. Go. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> Definitely Blade Runner. I'll live. On, I'll, I'll live. No, no, Endor. Why did I say hot? No, I want to live on Endor on the on the tree houses. Yeah. There, oh, you, there go. you go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so as far as bingos go, wow, I think Empire is the only one that showed up on all of our lists. Really? Uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. We I feel some... like I single-handedly ruined this in a couple different ways. Sorry, guys. I mean, if I had to pick one person who would not have Last Crusade on your list, it would not be you, Trisha. Like, that was just really surprising. I'm not, that's not shaming. I, d- I didn't expect anybody else to necessarily have it, but I was like, yeah, but Trisha will probably have it. It really was for a long time, but mm. like, I don't know. My, my, my ones after 10 are all like real travesties that I couldn't include them. So, like, 11 is aliens. That would have been really close, I think. And then, yeah, I have When Harry Met Sally there. And then I have other good ones that really rule, like Sex, Lies, and Videotape and Dust Boots oh, I well. couldn't get to. Sorry, what was Sex, Lies, and? Videotape. And the other, did you say the <laughs> and other Dust Boots. <laughs> and Dust Boots. There we <laughs> go. Like, there does we Brian go. not know the last That was not the one I heard. Yeah. Yeah. Have you not heard of that movie? <laughs> <laughs> the third thing is Videotape. <laughs> <laughs> Sex, Lies, and Dust Boot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Oh but my god! Anyway. Yeah, my list was was not. I was just like Never Ending Story, Blue Velvet, Breakfast Club, Blood Simple, Brazil, The Burbs, Do the Right Thing, Brazil. Dark Crystal, yeah. Bill and Ted, Back to the Future, Ferris Bueller, Weird Science, Pink Floyd's The Wall, Aliens, Die Hard, Raiders. I was just like, it's man, so much. It, yeah. I know. Nobody had Die Hard. Oh Trisha yeah, had Trisha oh, had you, Die Hard. did you have Die Hard? Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, I did. Yeah. I had Die Hard. Okay, okay. Yeah, but yeah, that. but only that only showed up once, which was surprising. Um, Back to the Future almost made it. It was on three of us, but not, not on mine. Brian's yeah, list. it was yeah. one of the. I think Back to the Future is my same as Jurassic Park in the '90s for me, where it was like I love it dearly, and I've loved it since I was a kid. But I just never had that like I need to watch this every week relationship with it that like a lot of people our age have. Yeah, I don't think I had. I don't think I had it that much either. But I had it. I had it enough that it could be in my top ten. But I don't feel like I have the relationship I have like that Michael and Trisha have with it potentially. Mm. Yeah. It's an interesting one, yeah. Back to it the future. Is. Well, and hopefully we'll get to talk about it soon. As that I was is one saying, of our. Don't we have a milestone where if we we do we reach a we certain do. point we get to talk about Back to the Future? 
Yes, we do indeed. We get to talk about all the Back to the Futures, uh, and it would be very fun to revisit that. Uh, and we, we also need have another, more patrons to do we that. We need more patrons. Mm -hmm. We also have a milestone uh, on the way there where we talk about the Bourne films. I actually just watched The Bourne Identity, and I'm like, so I have good. thoughts. I want to talk about these things. So mm -hmm. if you want to help us get to that, head over to the Beyond the Screenplay Patreon. There are lots of perks. We have a monthly patron-exclusive episode. Oftentimes, you guys get to vote on which movie that is. There's different themes. Uh, and so that's lots of fun. There's a Discord. And speaking of the Discord, hey, everyone on the Discord, send us your list of top 10 favorite films of the 80s. Uh, it's always fun seeing people and on Twitter, too, like sending us their top 10s on the YouTube comments. I think this is a fun exercise to force yourself to do every once in a while. And I really kind of want to revisit some of our like go back through the 90s and the aughts and the 10. Like, mm -hmm. I'm curious if those yeah. lists would be same today as they were when we recorded those episodes um yeah but this is a better tell, episode tell us who won sorry oh right tell us who won the game show yeah, yeah. Right. that's the most important thing tell yeah. us right. who won thanks yes. alex uh i want to say a big thank you of course to the patrons that make the show possible thank you to our producer vince major and our editors donovan bullen caleb berg graham harther and eric schneider I'm Michael Tucker. I've been joined today by Trish Rand, Brian Bittner, and Alex Cayeros. Of our Twitter handles are in the show notes. Again, send us your top 10 of the 80s or any decade. Why not? Just send us all of your top 10s. Uh, I like I like seeing the different personality traits yeah. that these things reveal. Like, are you yeah. an alien or an aliens person? That's really all right. I want to know. <laughs> uh, and we will see you in the next episode. Bye, everybody. We'll be back. Bye. <laughs>